स्थापकाय चर्मस्वूपिणे अवतार वरिष्ठा रामकृष्णा ते नम वसुदेवसुत कंसचाणूरमर्दनम वंदे जगत so in the last class we started our discussion on the third chapter of shrimad bhagavad gita the third chapter is termed as the karma yoga that how we can transcend the limitations of life and attain liberation through the path of action the general notion is that the spiritual life and the secular life has a watertight compartment in the words of sri ramakrishna in the morning i wake up i have my morning ablutions i go for a shower and then i have a special set of clothes i wear that enter the shrine in the corner of my house or the altar placed somewhere i sit down burn incense light the lamp offer flowers offer some fruits meditate for a while have a very uplifted feeling come back change my dress now i am ready for going to my office i wear my office dress and sit for my breakfast in the dining table and now i am a total different person now i am a secular person so whatever i did in the morning that was spiritual and now when i am ready for my day to day secular activities it has nothing to do with spirituality it is a watertight compartment so spirituality become a just a very limited affair for half an hour at the most one hour before i sit for my breakfast that's my spirituality the rest of the day has nothing to do with spirituality so that type of spirituality becomes a part time affair but for a real spiritual transformation for transcending the limitations of life so that the world goes on the another wrong notion with spirituality is that the more i become spiritual the more the problems of life will be set aside they won't be there that's another wrong notion we can never get rid of the polarities of life sometimes we will be in the peak of ecstasy sometime we'll be in the abe of dejection and sorrow that's what life is it is extremely unpredictable however we may resort to spirituality we can never be assured of the fact that there won't be any problem most of us 
go for the spiritual life with that type of expectation that all the problems will be solved. But the real spirituality has nothing to do with the this what the ever this stopping of all our day-to-day -day problems. It speaks of transcendence. The life flows as it is. We have no hand over it. The life is like that. The Shara Vikara will be there. That we are born, we will grow. And then at certain point, the transformation process will start. We will then start aging. The decay process will start. The death is going to be there. However, we may wear all those stones. However, we may go to such and such, that this Baba or that Baba, who are very acclaimed to have just avert all the problems, not for certain. Till now, in the history of humanity, there is no one living eternally. It's all somehow we try to hoodwink ourselves. It never happens. That's why Swami Vivekananda used to say that for most of us, in the name of spirituality, what we are doing, we are actually taking recourse to gross materialism. In his word, very nicely has defined what is materialism and what is spirituality. He used to say where world is the goal, God is the means. I want this world. I don't want eternity apart from this life. That as a soul, I am eternal. I'm not bothered about that. In this body, in this life, and it extends to my family, to my wealth, that should be all okay. Nothing should be disturbed. So my goal is the world. And God is just the means. I pray to God, you, you, I don't want you. I want this world. I just pray you are the means. You will supply me this. So Swamiji used to say where God is the means, world is the end. That is sheer materialism. And what is spirituality? Where world is the means. You do karma. World is the means. This world is placed before you. In the words of Swami Vivekananda, it's not a pleasure garden. Where we have not come to enjoy the life. It is not a pleasure garden. But it is a gymnasium. Where we have came to make ourselves spiritually strong. We never go to the gymnasium for relaxation. We go and work hard. We work against the wet. We sweat for what? To grow physically strong. Similarly, the Lord has given this world to us as a gymnasium where we come to fight against all the evils through karma, through actions, but with a different orientation of mind. That will be spoken of in this chapter. With a total different orientation of mind, I do go on doing my actions and that helps me to grow spiritually. When I change my orientation, the same karma, the same action, instead of binding me, can release me. Any action as such in its default mode has a tendency to take us spirally downwards, to bind us. But if you can change the orientation, and for that, the spirituality speaks of the designing. We come out of the default mode. We design. Just in a computer, you open a Word file. By default, 
you will find the margin is fixed to 2.54 cm on the left, on the right, on the top, on the bottom. By default, if you are not just bothered, you can just work on that, but you have the capacity to design in the computer. It has been programmed all this. Softwares has been programmed in such a way you can come out of the default mode. Now I want more space. I can go on changing the, all the so-called the margins. I can make it 1.5 CM instead of 2.54 CM. So that is designing. So in this creation, God by default has made us such that we tend to move spirally downwards by leading a very egocentric life. And at last, it ends up nowhere. We find we have ended up in a blind alley with all our ambitions, with all our wealth. We thought we can do anything and everything. And at last we find that we have ended up in a blind alley before we cannot proceed anymore. Or in the words of Swami Vivekananda, we were on an adventure and suddenly we find we are on the edge of a precipice, a one step ahead, you are gone, you are annihilated. That means your death. That's what egocentric action is bound to lead us. So when you change that orientation, you, are, you become aware of the fact that all the actions you are doing is not you who are the doer. It is not you who are the enjoyer. This world is meant for enjoyment, but it is not the egocentric enjoyment. The one who is finding expression through us, I am here just the channel. It is a God who is finding expression through us in the form of love, compassion. Those things are not something we have. Can you claim that that love which you feel for your child is yours? Isn't it the fact the moment the child is born, you don't have to will that I will love it. The love spontaneously from, from your heart. You have been designed that way. How can you claim I love my child? It is a God who has implanted that love in my heart through which he is taking care of his own creation. So I am just the instrument. I am just the channel. Through me, God is working. So if he's working, it is not me who is going to enjoy the actual result of my action. It is he, it is for his enjoyment. This world is the expression of his joy. He also has no purpose. If he had some purpose, the creation, behind the creation, he wouldn't have been a free person. We say God has no bondage. What is the cause of the main bondage of us? The purpose that we find I have some limitation. That's why we try to go out of that limitation. So any purpose speaks of bondage. If there was a purpose behind the creation, then God also would have been a bound person. There is no purpose. Then why he has created? We use an allegory to understand that, that it is expression of his joy. It is his lila. Wow. When a small child is playing, you give him some uh, synthetic clay, you will find a wonderful thing. Sometimes just out of play, he makes a wonderful, there's some structures, some buildings, and the entire city he has created, highways, flyovers, and then the next moment it will break it and make something else. So why the child is making and unmaking all those things? He has no purpose. 
the child, the life is spontaneous, full of life. And that spontaneous life finds expression through this, all those activities. It's a joyous, it's a mode to express its joy. It has no purpose. So God's creation is also like that. It is his Leela. He has made us out of him and gave us a sense of separate identity. Otherwise, in the words of Ramakrishna, there cannot be Leela Pushtai. Leela Pushtai means you cannot get the real joy out of this game. If you have the sensation that I am alone playing, you can never enjoy. So he has created intentionally that sense of you and me. He has created me out of him and given me a sense of individuality. I understood this that very well when I was in school long back in India. So we in Ramakrishna Mission, we have school centers and they are mostly residential schools. And in the schools, we find that throughout the day, as there's a wonderful routine in which the students have, are just bound, you can say, so that they're disciplined, they lead a punctual life. So apart from their school hours, they do have hours for their study. And being it's being a residential school, we have to look after them even when they're studying. So when I was new to this type of setup, the first impression, the students are very, very disciplined, calm and quiet in the study home, in the study room when they're studying, there is no noise. Silently they're studying. But my senior monastic member, who is an experienced person who is doing that work for a long time, he told, don't think these boys to be so nice. They have their own ways to do mischief things, mischievous things as they're under the discipline, under surveillance, they appear to be quiet. And then one day we were just with him, I was moving around the, this, uh, uh, what you say, the, on the veranda, on the balcony, which is common to all the classrooms. Apparently it appeared all the students are studying. Suddenly my senior monk stopped and pointed out to one of the student. He told what he's doing, I told he's studying. And it appears to be he's taking some notes look intently. When I looked intently, then also I couldn't find out. Then he showed him an interesting thing. The boy was constantly turning the page and writing something. He told, can anyone take notes that way? If he's taking notes, he has to study the page, but he's constantly turning the page and writing something. Coming back to the same page, turning the page a little and not fully he's turning, just as if he's seeing the page number, nothing else. Just seeing the page number, coming back to the same page, writing something. So we sittingly went and stood behind the boy and we found an interesting thing in the page, in the, two, in the notebook, the page, the name of the cricket players were there. In one page, it was the name of the Indian cricket players. Uh, today you have the India-Pakistan match here. In the another page, it was the, all the Pakistan players. And what he was playing, the letter the senior monk explained, which is called book cricket. So when you turn a page, the facing page is having the even number. The page which you are turning, this, uh, uh, that, that page are having odd numbers and the page which is flat, that has the even numbers. And you will find an interesting thing. Even number means what it will be either the end, the last digit will be zero or two or four or six or eight. There cannot be any other option. 
So zero, two, four, six, eight, these five options are there. So when he just uh, randomly turns the page and if he finds the page ends with zero, means the player who is batting is out. If it is two, he has scored a double, two runs. If it is four, he has scored a boundary. If the last digit is six, he has scored an over boundary. And if it is eight, there cannot be a score called eight. So it is just a single. So it is just one run. So that's how he, he has created two teams and he's enjoying that is called book cricket. Now, all those players are not there. It is all just, it is in his notebook, but he's enjoying the entire one and a half hours in the study. He will spend that way. Apparently it appears he's studying, but the thing is he's enjoying. How? By creating those players and he himself alone is playing. God is playing book cricket with this entire creation, nothing else. He has made you and me and given a separate sense of identity. Otherwise the game doesn't become entertaining. As someone asked Sri Ramakrishna that why God has created. Sri Ramakrishna's immediate reply was, it is his lila, it is his sport, divine sport. And immediately the man retorted back, it is maybe sport for him, but he's, he must be a very sadistic person. Here we are dying and it is sport for him. Ramakrishna immediately replied, who are you? It is all he. He has made the sensation of this you and me. Otherwise, the game won't be interesting. When I am playing a video game, I may be the one who have identified myself with a shooter and shooting person. And I enjoy the game. I know I'm actually shooting none. It's all projection. So it is his Leela going on, which has no purpose. And I am just a play met. I'm just an instrument in the hand of the divine. If this orientation comes, action goes on. Why the action goes on? Because he has made me in such a way that I'm bound to act in a particular way. So whatever responsibilities I have been placed in my life, I neither seek nor avoid. I don't, I am not ambitious that I want more. I'm quite happy with whatever situation life has placed me, nor do I avoid. Like Arjuna wanted to avoid the word. I don't want to avoid. I don't. Because avoiding is not renunciation. It is seeking the security zone. It is seeking the comfort zone. It is also a type of seeking. It is also something to pamper your ego by going to your comfort zone, by going to your security zone. So neither I avoid, nor do I seek. I know I am the instrument in the hand of the divine. He is working through me. He has his own a way of working for why, what he's going to make, what he's going to unmake, I don't know. No, the child makes and unmakes. Sometimes my actions, I think, has some purpose, but I find nothing happens. Most probably the plan of the divine was to unmake. Who knows? We don't know. If the ego falls off, we can, we can simply be a part of the play of the divine, enjoy the play, whatever it may happen to me. So I'm not bothered about the result. I play the game perfectly without giving any slack to it. I am performance oriented. I do it perfectly, but not result oriented. So that becomes a way of life. And that's do enter in contemplation because at each and every moment of the life, though I am acting on the background of my mind, a part of my mind is always aware of the fact 
I am just an instrument in the hands of the divine. Whatever I do, I do perfectly and offer it to the feet of the Lord. So this awareness constantly, your mind is there. Outwardly, the people, when they look at me, they feel I'm extremely engrossed, attached to the life. But the subjective feeling to the bottom of my heart, I know I'm not attached. As there's a very popular saying in Bengali that Shadhu hobe, Shadhu shajbena. Grihi shajbe, grihi hobena. That always feign to be, uh, always pretend to be a householder. Feign to be a householder, pretend to be a householder. Don't become a householder. And become a sadhu. Don't pretend to be a sadhu. We just do the opposite. We have holy marks. We go to the religious place. We are always as if holding a flag of religion in our hand, but in our heart, something is different. That's the mithyachara. That's hypocrisy, which Bhagavan will be speaking of in this chapter. So we, that's, that's not the way of life. We are totally involved with the life, but our mind is given to the Lord. As we say again and again, when uh, someone asked a very senior Swami of our order, that in those days, even now, transcendental meditation is a, is a quite famous. So someone asked that, what's the transcendental meditation? Have you heard of it? Mahesh Yogi's transcendental meditation. It was very famous in the West. In those days, it was really very famous. Many people were adopting that way of meditation. So this novice never knew what transcendental meditation is. So he went to a very old monk. He was reading a life of a recluse. He has retired. He was just uh, uh, staying in uh, one of the quarters of our uh, headquarters, which is meant for the old monks. He was staying there, Aragya Bhavan. So someone asked, this novice asked, Swamiji, have you heard of transcendental meditation? The Swami was very jovial, very funny. He told, no, I haven't heard of transcendental meditation. Guru Maharaj, Sri Ramakrishna has taught us dental meditation. So this novice was really taken aback. What is dental meditation? And then the Swami told, Sri Ramakrishna used to say that when you have a toothache, when you have a toothache, wherever you may go, whatever you may do, you can never forget that. It is always, it has, you're kept a part of, your mind has been kept in that pain, even it's in the background, always there, whatever you may be doing. So let God be your toothache. Never forget him. As long as you have your responsibilities, with one hand, hold on to God. With another hand, go on doing your work. When your work is over, with both hands, hold on to the Lord. How nice, simple words which speaks of this karma yoga. The same karma yoga which Sri Ramakrishna is also speaking. All the spiritual teachers, if you go to their teachings, none is saying to run away from the life. As we started the Bhagavad Gita with that discussion, that fear is an acronym, which most of us use it in the sense, forget everything and run. But we can use it in a different way. We can design it. Wow. Face everything and rise. Face everything. Be in the life. Be in the turmoil. But let your mind transcend it by keeping it in the feet of the Lord. So, this is the trend with which the discussion will go on. We already started. 
So in the fourth uh, sloka, which we were studying in the last class, what it is being mentioned, let us start studying that. This is the idea. The same idea which we were discussing is being spoken of by Bhagavan Krishna. He is speaking to Arjuna. What he is told, what he mentioned, what he, what is instructing Arjuna, na karmanam anarambha, na karmanam anarambhat naishkarmyang purushoshnute, na cha sanya sanadeva siddhing samadhi gachati. So just by abstaining from action, a man can never reach the state of actionlessness. Na karmanam anarambhat. Without starting an action, you can never reach the state of actionlessness. You may say, how? It appears to be queer. That when I'm not acting, then I'm actionless. How can I just become actionless by starting an action? So there are two ways that we misrepresent this idea, misinterpret this. So first they say, we think that it is not possible. That once I start action, how can I become actionless? And the, some who go to the other extreme, who think that action is the karma is there for my chitta shuddhi, purification of my mind. When my mind becomes pure, then I need not have to do action. Then I can become actionless. That's the other extreme. Bhagavan is not indicating either of them. When he says, Na karmanam anarambhat naishkarmyang purushashnate, in the last class, we just started the discussion with an example. Just forget about spirituality in our day to day life. Let us try to understand this idea of actionlessness through action. Your car is just standing on the garage, on the carport. It is actionless. But is it meant for that? Have you bought the car to just to keep it in the garage? No. It has some other purpose. It has to move. So you start the car. You press your feet on the accelerator. The car accelerates. It's on the highway. Will you go on accelerating the car? After some time you release. The car, because of its momentum, is moving. Are you doing any action? No. Isn't it? The car is moving because of its own momentum. So it is this state of action. It is moving. But at the same time, it is not acting. Means you are not acting on it. It is moving because of its past momentum. And that's the state of actionless which Bhagavan is speaking of here. Why? How? That if you are sitting idle, the next line will uh, that will also that even do the same thing. You may say, you may feel that I am not acting, but that is mithyachara. Why? That though you are not physically acting, but your mind is extremely active. When you are in your default mode, there are so many mental modules, thousands of desires. Your mind has various subsets of mind, each having its own stimuli response conditioning. There are thousands of them. They all try to draw your attention. They all want to be pam- they all, all want to be pampered. Just like the granny sitting and the grandchildren all are sitting around her, they all want to be pampered. Somehow they want to draw her attention. They never will let the granny to relax. They're all disturbing. They all came for the holiday 
and granny finds no relaxation. All the children are trying their best to be pampered by their nanny. The same thing happens with our mind. We have pampered this, our, all these children, grandchildren for such a long time. They all want to be pampered. So they never let you free. When you're sitting freely, apparently you're doing no, they're doing no action, but that is monkey mind, constantly is busy. Is it really without action? No. But now you start your action and you are not bothered about the result. I have to do the thing perfectly. When you're thinking of the result, you go to the future. You are either you're repenting, oh, I have not done the thing correctly in the past. What will happen to me? Uh, this, all this, you're not going to the past, not going to the future. Let us forget, be in the present. My, at present, I have this work in my hand. My only goal is to do it perfectly. Jan Sadhan Tan Siddhi. If you go on doing your work with full attention, the result is bound to follow. So you need not think of the result. You do it perfectly. Because even if the result is something unpredictable, you can never gain anything just by thinking of it. It is just a worrying. So why just to go on worrying about what may happen? Forget about it. Just by worrying, you cannot change its course. Let us forget about it. Give our full attention to the present. If you can do that, forget about any spiritual eye orientation. Just I have an I have developed that faculty of doing whatever action is in my hand to do it with full focus. I just get fully absorbed with it. In no time, as your mind cannot never do multitasking, it can never do multitasking. It has it can only have one thought at a time. It can never do multitasking. We think the mind does multitasking. It never. It actually jumps from one thought to the other at a very fast rate, giving us an idea that we are doing multitasking. And that's why when you are doing multitasking, not a single work is done perfectly because your mind is constantly jumping from one activity to the other. But if you're focused, all other activities have fallen off. The mind is totally focused in one thing. That monkey mind has gone now. You're just focused in what you're doing. It takes you into a state of videha. Means though you are in the body, you feel as if there is no body, just like the car which is in full speed, but you are not pressed the accelerator. Though you are in the body, you don't feel of the body. Why? Because the mind, when focused to one thing, the other things are bound to fall off. When I'm just conversing with you, someone calls me, I hear that because just for conversing with you, only a small part of my mind is required. The remaining mind is free to take care of other activities. But when I'm watching the TV, the India-Pakistan match is going on, I'm fully focused. Someone calls, I don't hear. Why? As the mind has taken up the entire thing which is going on the TV, that no part of the mind is free for taking care of other activities. The sound enters the ear, but it gets cannot connect with the mind because the mind is busy with something else. So sometimes it happens that when I'm extremely busy, someone calls, I don't hear. So when you're extremely focused, the external, all the distractions falls off. Not only that, after if you're really focused, even your bodily alarm system, you will find when the surgeon is operating on a patient standing for eight hours, the he who can never stand for half an hour, his legs aches. But when he's in the operating theater, operating on a, a patient for eight hours, he's standing. He feels no pain. 
he never feels thirsty he never feels hungry he doesn't feel tired because hunger thirst tiredness body ache all these are alarm system of the body these are biological alarms they also need a part of the mind but the mind has totally taken away by the procedure which he is doing because he knows a little mistake will be at the cost of the life of the patient so he's too focused for 8 hours he is not aware of anything the moment the operation is over <clears throat> then he feels hungry then he feels tired <clears throat> so why it happens his mind was focused so when you get focused your mind now becomes totally tranquil it's just absorbed in the thing you are doing other thing falls off <clears throat> so it results in a let go that we are always carrying the baggage of worries and tensions and desires with our with us and we are <clears throat> carrying them for so long we got habituated we don't feel that we are carrying the baggage <clears throat> and someone just takes the baggage and puts it aside and then i feel the difference oh it makes me feel so light so relaxed just one minute <clears throat> so the same thing happens here that you enter into a state of pure bliss and that's the bliss which has no end can you can you think of any worldly pleasure which you can uh, with which you can continue for 8 hours 9 hours from the morning you prepare a dish in 15 minutes 20 minutes is over and then what you do you don't know what to do with your time you were thinking that i will enjoy my meal for how long any sense of pleasure ends up very quickly you are satiated for the time being and you don't know what to do with your time you are bored and again it comes back next day and you are slave to it every time you have to repeat it now it forces you but this type of joy the one who is a musician the one who can really get dive deep into the work he is doing and gets totally lost in it and enjoying the pleasure out of it so what you are doing is not important how you are doing is important the same ceo who is enjoys his work in the office can enjoy a simple work like brooming the house because he has learned the art of focus and go to a state of flow where the mind has all the distractions has fallen off and he gets a terrible joy because the mind is now free from all distractions and that's the state which though you are in action is actually state of actionlessness so now you will understand that's why many say that bhagavad gita sometimes speak something which appears to be bit contradictory queer because actually because we have never tried to understand it between the lines there is so much meaning hidden between the lines so you can enjoy the state of actionlessness only through action na karmanam and that is never possible when you are not doing any action at all if you are sloth you are lazy know it for certain your mind is a devil's workshop something is going on outwardly there is no visible sign but subjectively you know what's going on there we can make a show of spirituality that way that is a mithyachara bhagwan will say that is type of hypocrisy so in the second line what is saying nacha sanyasana deva siddhin samadhi gachyati 
not by mere physical renunciation does anyone arrive at the perfection you can never so you have to be a part of this game dive deeply and try to be totally focused be performance oriented that's the thing which swami vivekananda learned from pavhari baba when he visited gazipur pavhari baba the great saint when he was meditating he used to forget the world but when he used to come down from his meditation he used to do all the worldly activities his whole household course like cleansing the utensils the puja utensils generally is made of brass and copper it takes lot of care and time to polish them to make them shine it very quickly will develop a layer so every time you have to just go on polishing it to bring back that shine and he used to do that meticulously and swami vivekananda was puzzled this man who is a realized soul who gets absorbed in meditation and then he comes down from meditation and gets so meticulously absorbed in so all this so called trivial worldly activities how is it possible so he went and he just asked pavari baba that how can you be involved in such small activities and pavari baba's reply was jan sadhan tan siddhi that whatever you are practicing forget all the goal that all the results uh, which we are expecting forget about them siddhis all the results which we want forget those siddhis your siddhis jan sadhan what you are doing to do it perfectly alone is your siddhi that is your uh, only the goal at that moment do that when you are meditating forget the world when you are working then also you forget the world we involved in that activity for us as we don't do the activity properly when we are meditating we think oh that work has not been done properly so at the time of meditation we are thinking of the work at the when we are doing work we want to escape the work oh when i will get time for meditation so neither we are doing the work perfectly nor we are meditating so here bhagwan actually by saying the true action go to the actionlessness is saying be at present be at present what you are doing that's the only thing you have to do so he is yet to enter into the idea of spirituality this karma yoga is a really vast subject and it is meant for all if you are an atheist then also karma yoga is for you without the idea of god just with the idea that what you do do perfectly forget everything else don't think of future don't think of past be absorbed in it that can give you a transcendence a joy because all your so called the vagaries of the mind has fallen off and that entails in chitta shuddhi your mind gets purified the entire uh, this the gamut of spirituality the entire gamut of spirituality lies there it lies in purity nothing else that's why swami vivekananda when he was in the west preaching so as the in the west people are very much familiar with the bible they are most christians so that this type of lines are there in all scriptures it's not that only in uh, in the bible that word is that line is there that blessed as a blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god it's a quotation is a word of jesus christ the blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god 
So these lines, even in Islam you get, even in Hinduism you get, but as he was in a Christian land, preaching the Christian people. So one day he stressed to stress the importance of this purity. He's quoted this line and told a very interesting thing. If all the scriptures of the world are damaged, it's lost. All the so-called religious practices which you have developed, we forget about them. And somehow you unearth only this one sentence of Jesus. The blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. You know it for certain. The entire spirituality will evolve. Has a this one line has the potentiality to bloom up, to evolve again all the spiritual. Because the entire spirituality lies there. Purity. Cleanse the mind. Because the reality is something which we won't have to achieve. We don't have to attain the spiritual state because that is something inherent in us. It is in Sanskrit, there are two words, prapti and apti. Prapti means to get something. Apraptasya prapti is prapti. The thing which I don't have to get that is prapti. And in, in Bhagavad Gita also, uh, in later chapters, they will use the word apti, not prapti. Apti means to get something which is already yours. You are somehow forgetful about it. So suddenly the housewife is running hither and thither frantically. Where is my chain? The precious golden chain. It has got somehow hidden within the folds of her sari. It is there in her neck and she is frantically searching. And then someone points, wow, what a wonderful lady you are. It is there hanging in your neck. And then she finds, oh, it was with her. Somehow she was forgetful about it. And then it was, it is already there. So we are forgetful about your real nature. The ignorance has clouded our intellect. So that intellect has to be purified. Nothing else has to be done. The spiritual entity within us automatically gets revealed. So that's why the entire spirituality lies in that purity. So even without thinking of God, just by doing the action perfectly, forgetting it past, forgetting future, leaving out all worries, leaving out all dejections, all uh, our tensions, stress. I'm doing the work perfectly, whatever I'm doing. That alone can lead you to a state of chitta shuddhi. And that chitta shuddhi itself is, you don't have to get something else. That itself is a cash down payment. Immediately you get the payment in the form of pure joy, bliss. Those who have experienced it, they know the What's the art of doing any action? They've experienced that. So they do anything. That's a, even in the life of Ramakrishna, we find very interesting. The one who is always used to be in Samadhi, when he comes down from the Samadhi, and he does everything meticulously. He's in the, you know, this in India, there are so many ways to uh, utilize the space. This, uh, this is a poor people, poor country. The space in those days, you know, that in your house, your small room. Now there are so many things you have to keep. How to keep? So the, the space below the court, that also becomes a space for keeping things. So you will, you will find in the villages, now those things are not much visible, but in the olden days, they will raise the court with bricks. They will keep some two, three bricks. And on the top of the bricks are the pegs of the court. Or the, the legs of the courts are on, placed on that. So that way you have raised the entire court. So now those bricks 
also are used as racks because the bricks are a bit bigger than the legs of the cot. So it has some space. So in one of those leg, on the bricks of the, uh, the leg of the cot, the peg of the cot, Sri Ramakrishna used to keep one small knife. He used to use for small, you have to cut some fruit or something, that knife was there. And one day, some boys came for picnic. They came for picnic in Dakshineshwar and they forgot to bring knife. You know, they have to now cook food, cut vegetables. So they came to Ramakrishna and asked, sir, can you just borrow us a knife? He was not willing because he has the idea that these boys are extremely undisciplined. They will forget, they won't return. So he was not willing at last as they were insisting, he gave them. After giving, when they were all, first he told, don't forget to return it when you go. They told, yes, yes, sir, don't, uh, don't worry, we will return. Now they were almost halfway to the spot of the picnic. He called them again. Hey, please listen. So they came back, don't forget. Just to say that, don't forget to give back that knife. They were really irritated. So sir, please don't worry, we will. Now they went for the picnic. At the end of the day, in the evening, Sri Ramakrishna was sitting in his room with the devotees, having conversation on the spiritual conversation. Suddenly he remembered that it's the time, it's already getting dark. The boys must have left. He asked one of his disciples, see that they have forgotten the knife. This disciple told it's a very small knife. Don't bother. Well, no, no, no. You please go there and find it. Well, how will I find it? And Sri Ramakrishna gave a very nice instruction. So you will find at some place, they have cut a lot of vegetables because for picnics, it was a quite a big group. So all the pills you will find dumped in one place. It must be there. And you just go on, uh, just, uh, just move that pills. You just scribble over it. Uh, you just go on handling it. You will find somewhere that knife is there. You just remove the pills, you will find it there. And that disciple really got, when he removed that heap of pills, he got the knife there. He brought it and was just going to keep it in some rack. Ramakrishna told, go and wash it nicely. Again, he, after washing, he came and was, he was just came back and was just going to keep it on the rack. Ramakrishna again told, wipe it nicely. No water drop should be there. Wiped, so again, he was going to keep it in the rack. He told, no, not there. It's in the brick on which this peg of one of the, one of the peg of the cot is kept. Now this boy was really fed up. He told, you are so just attached to this small knife. And what Ramakrishna told is interesting. Now, just see what he's saying that at the dead of night, if I need this knife, where will I search? It's like us in the computer where we have saved our file, we don't know. <laughs> so half of the day is gone in searching your file. So as you are not doing the thing perfectly, you waste your time. So Ramakrishna is saying, in the dead of night, if I need, even in the dark, if that knife is required, I know where it is. If you keep it anywhere, how will I find it? The first thing. So keep it in the proper place. And why I, I was so much that about this small knife, I was so much worried because I don't earn a single pie. I am just, just emerging the thought of God. The people, they think that I have to be taken care of. God has given that God, God's compassion is working through them. They come take care of me. Now it is their hard earned money. With that money, they run their family. From that, they save a little. And with that, they buy this thing. If I lose this thing, I will again have to ask from someone. 
So it is, it may look so trivial, but it's very precious, very precious. So it has to be taken care of. There shouldn't be any rust. It shouldn't be lost. So just see a man of realization when he's coming down to the world, he's so meticulous about small things. And that's why he used to observe when anyone is to come to Dakshineshwar to get instructions from him in spiritual life. So they will come into his room, sit down and say, sir, I have came to for some spiritual instruction. Ramakrishna will say, wait, wait, please sit here. And he will go out of the room just to see how that man has kept his slippers and his umbrella and other belongings. If he finds that the slippers are all scattered, one slipper is here and the slipper is somewhere else. The umbrella is somewhere. He has just thrown the umbrella. The bag is also lying. Uh, just most probably has thrown it. He will come back and say that Rani Rashmani has made this temple garden. There are so many beautiful temples. There are so many beautiful gardens. Please go around and have a look. He will never instruct them in spirituality. Because they found that the, lit, that the basic disciplining of the mind is not there. He doesn't know how to keep his shoes properly, to come and open the shoes, keep it, the cape, because when he comes back, he will have to search his shoes. So keep it properly, keep the umbrella near it, tidy nicely, the bag. So just by seeing these small things, he will understand the state of the mind. So that's why, I say that, that's why we say that cleanliness is next to godliness. When you are orderly, you keep everything clean. That speaks of your clean mind. And the clean mind speaks of your more nearness to God because all the shadows has fallen off, all the clouds has fallen off. Your divinity, which is inherent, that becomes manifest. So cleanliness is next to godliness. So these words, within these simple words is the entire philosophy of karma yoga. So that's the thing which has been spoken of in this fourth sloka. Nacha sanya sanadeva. Just by mere physical abstinence, you can never attain perfection. If we do that, Bhagavan will be saying we will be resorting to mithyachara. It's a non-productive. Mithyachara means two. One means hypocrisy. And again, it means mithya achara. You're doing something which is not going to produce any result. Mithya achara. So sometimes we sincerely believe. It's not that we are doing hypocrisy consciously. We sincerely believe to be away from the world trying to dive deep in meditation, not to get engaged in any activities. That's the only way out. So Bhagavan, he's saying that is mithyachara. It's not, you're not hypocrite. It's not that you're really hypocrite. You are sincere about that thought. But all this endeavor will not result anything. That it becomes mithya, it becomes just false. This achara, all these practices you're doing is not going to yield any result. So it's sometimes we loosely translate as hypocrite, but it actually doesn't mean hypocrite that you're sincere. You sincerely believe by coming out of the world, just spend, spending time in deep meditation, not trying not to get involved with the world is the way out. And you work hard for years together, finding no result. You are where you are. It's like a group of drunkards one day at night, they got on a boat, they just got up on a boat, and they, want, they wanted to go the other, to the other shore to enjoy. So they were all drunk. And they were rowing and rowing and rowing. And then the, day, the, 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 the sun rose, the daybreak. The day, the, there was a daybreak in the morning. And then they realized, all right, we are rowing throughout the night. Then now it's already morning. We were, in the, we were supposed to reach that place in the night itself. 
and now it's already the daytime. And then they release, then they realized the boat was still anchored. They haven't removed the anchor. So that's what we do with our spirituality. We are meditating like the drunkard. We are meditating, thinking we will reach the shore, but our boat is anchored. Our mind is still glued to all these worldly pleasures. However, I may be physically abstaining. The mind can get never get rid of that. So it all becomes false and evil. In that way, it is a mithyachara. So that's what Bhagavan is speaking on this fourth sloka. So this idea will be reinstated again in the next few slokas. That fifth till eighth sloka, this will be reinstated. From the fourth to the eighth, this is the idea. He's yet to enter into that spiritual portal. That from the spiritual standpoint, in the concept of yajna will come. That he's yet to discuss. He's discussing karma yoga <clears throat> just from the atheistic point of view. No God, no theism. Just doing the action properly with full focus and, the, and in the process to enter into the flow that alone can take you to the state of naishkarma, actionlessness. And that, that naishkarma can give you a bliss as a cash down payment. Immediately you get it. It is not that. You have to wait for it. You do the work, you immediately get it. So, Nahi, that let, let's just read the next sloka and we will continue with this section again in the next class. Nahi kaschit kshanamapi jatu tishthatya karmakrit karyate yavasha karma sarva prakriti jai gunai. There is no one who can remain without action even for a moment. All the beings are compelled to act by the gunas born of Prakriti. Prakriti jair gunai. Prakriti, prakriti this nature is constituted of three gunas. Sattva, Rajatama. Today, before ending the class, I will just give a little hint that sometimes we don't know the meaning of this word. We say Sattva means tranquility. Rajas means action. Tama means inertness, laziness, sloth, slothness. And that nature is made of these three things. It generally makes no sense that what actually is speaking of. But this Sattva Rajatama, in the modern language, we can translate it into stimuli response conditioning. How? So when you're sleeping, in the morning you wake up, you open your eyes and you look out from the window, you see a wonderful red flower, the red rose. And this thing, that red rose, you feel drawn. You are a devotee, you feel drawn. You go, you pluck the flower, bring it and offer it to the altar. Now, what has happened? When you have closed your, when you were sleeping, the idea of the flower was there in your mind. It's not that you don't know what flower is. When you morning you wake up, you see the flower, the stimuli. As a stimuli, there is something outside which you perceive. The centers in your brain, which already has the concept of flower, which all together combines to form the concept of flower. It's all piecemeal perception. <clears throat> through my eyes, I'm seeing the redness, the shape, the smell through the nose. So all these piecemeal perceptions, they combine to give the notion of the flower somewhere in your mind, it is happening. This concept is formed. So the stimuli is forming that concept. And now it is finding expression as rajas. You're going out to pluck the flower as per your temperament. If you're a devotee, 
you go and give it to the altar. Or if you're just the lover of beauty, you just cut the stem and keep it in a vase, most probably in some uh, table in your house, maybe not into the altar. So as per your temperament, you react. So that is karma. Can a stone do that? It cannot do that. So all these living creatures, the moment there is a life, you will find this interplay of these three gunas. Stimuli speaks of sattva. You're not doing any action. You're just perceiving. All the stimulus speaks of sattva. Illumination. Sattva is illumination. So all the stimuli is illumination. And what is tamas? When you were sleeping, the ideas were still in your mind. All these, these are called the, in our Sanskrit, they're called the, and this, before you get the jara prakriti, this, this is called tanmatra. We translate tanmatras as small particles of matter. It's not small particles of matter. Tatmatra is tanmatra, means piecemeal perception. When I'm seeing the flower, I don't see it as a whole. The redness is perceived at some part of my brain. The shape at some, even the modern uh, neurology will say that, that the entire flower is not perceived as a whole in the brain. The redness, the color perception center sees the red, redness, the form is perceived in some other part, the smell through the nose in some other part of the brain, the texture, if you touch it in some other part of the brain, they all synthesize, all these piecemeal perceptions synthesize to give you a sensation of the entire flower. Then the Panchabhuta comes into existence. They are Panchikrita. All the five have mixed up. It has become a hodgepodge to give you the sense of the whole. So all these ideas of redness, of the color, the texture, the smell is already there in your mind. The moment you perceive, they were in tamas. In your mind, they were lying. All these, that's why they call the tanmatras, panchabhutas, are the inert state of nature. They are in your mind, not outside. In your mind, they are yet dormant, lying there. All those ideas, the concepts, they're lying dormant. The external stimuli activates them. You perceive. It gets illumined. And then it gets converted into rajas, activity. You go out, you plug the flower, offer it to the altar. So now you will understand this three guna is actually stimuli response conditioning. From a small bacteria to the human. What's the expression of life? That particular stimulus, even in a petri dish, if there is a nutrient in the middle, all the microbes will be drawn towards it. A particular stimuli finds expression as a particular response. If there is a toxin, they will be moving away from it. So from a small microbe to the human being, we are a complex system of the stimuli response conditioning. So life means the stimuli response conditioning. Can I go beyond that? I will be inert, inert matter. So now you will understand when Bhagavan is saying that you cannot stay single moment without action because we are the product that the life is a product of the stimuli response. The external stimulus will be there and you will be reacting consciously or unconsciously. Even unconsciously within my body, digestion, assimilation, hearts, this beating, the working of the lungs. I don't, I'm not aware of them. They're going on and they are going on because of the stimuli response conditioning. Can you stop it? No. So nothing, that way you cannot stop action. Stopping action means death. So when you are in a, even in an ICU, there is no sign of life lying just like an inert body, but the doctor comes and says life is still there because the ECG shows some curve, some up and down. The moment the ECG becomes flat, now you have death. 
So when the ECG has become black, then only there is no karma. Till before there is karma is there. You cannot stop karma. Karma is there. This is because of the stimulus response conditioning. It's going on. The stimulus response conditioning is the prakriti, which is made of three gunas, prakriti, jaya, gunai, these three gunas. It goes on. You cannot stop. So as you cannot stop, don't try to stop it artificially, externally, forcefully. You cannot. No one tries to stop the fan by holding the blade. He's a fool. You just have to switch off the fan. Switching off means switch off the desire. The fan will still revolve for some time because of its past momentum to stop ultimately. So that's the idea. Don't try to just stop the fan by holding onto the blade. You will damage yourself. You will damage the fan. That's what we do in our spiritual life by forcefully trying to get rid of all our actions. We damage ourselves. We damage others. The way is switch off the switch of desire. I have to get something out of this. I have to get something out of that. This egocentric activity. You switch off and then the action goes on as per your past momentum, ultimately rendering you freedom. So that's the thing which Bhagavan is saying. So you can never be beyond action. The action has to continue. So that's what he'll be, spoken of, he'll be speaking of in the fifth. He's speaking in the fifth. So we will continue with this discussion again in the next class. Thank you all. Namaskars.